If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. I'm George Chen. And you're listening to Subdoc, a show where we talk to our interesting friends from the entertainment world sharing about their favorite documentaries. Today we're covering Like a Rolling Stone, The Life and Times of Ben Fong Torres. Released in 2021, Suzanne Kai's debut feature doc is now available to stream on Netflix. Ben Fong Torres was the editor at the beginnings of Rolling Stone magazine that was based in San Francisco. He has a fascinating background as a child of Chinese immigrants at the forefront of the 60s and 70s cultural upheaval. The doc features this godfather of music journalism interacting with Annie Leibovitz, Elton John, Jan Renner, and so many more. And our guest is music publicist Daniel Gill, who runs Force Field PR and a new record label called Nita Records. Now, here's our chat with Dan. Ben Fong Torres, immortalized in Almost Famous. And this is Ben Fong Torres. I'm the music editor at Rolling Stone magazine. Before the internet, before blogging, before tweeting. Hello, Rolling Stone. There was the Rolling Stone. There were superstars who worked there. One of the biggest was Ben Fong Torres. I was 23 years old when I started writing for Rolling Stone. There was nobody who was Chinese American or Asian American doing anything in printed media. And yet I wanted to be out there. And back on the show, it's Daniel Gill. First time with Paco Romain. What's up, guys? <laughs> Hi, George. Um, Hi, George. Hi. Uh, yeah, so I was on uh, previously doing the Velvet Underground doc, and Paco was absent. And I was. now we're all here, and I'm Yay. third chair. Happy to be third chair <laughs> with, you, with both of you. And, and because you are a music publicist, this is your industry, uh, I thought this would make sense. Uh, we, we were talking, and I, I yeah. had just started watching this. I hadn't finished it, but I'm like, oh yeah, there's so many resonances with this film for me personally. Yeah, that I can, I yeah. can feel a lot of uh, Paco being a San Francisco person, and Paco and I saw Elton John together. At, in, oh wow! At, at uh, Outside Lands. Yeah. So there's all sorts of like weird resonances that are happening. But Dan, what's your relationship to? Uh, well, I know. Well, I was gonna say you're a music publicist. You've also been doing publicity work on some documentaries. Uh, yeah. You said the Danny Fields one was mentioned last time, or we talked about Danny Fields. Well, I briefly. thought yeah. I've done a lot of them, and I would just say that mm-hmm. Danny says is probably the most relevant in relation to this film, mm-hmm. uh, the Ben Fong Torres story, um, because it kind of you know covers the same era in music, um, 
and Danny, and, and I was thinking about it. There's never actually been a rock doc about one individual music critic before. This is hmm. the first one I can hmm. think of. Danny feel Danny says technically, but he his He's main manager, career, right? He did some music criticism for like yeah. a, I forget which fanzine, but like he did like some early his 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 first foray into music was as a music critic, but that wasn't what he was known for. Sure, that wasn't he didn't continue that path. He became a manager. He worked at Electra Records. He signed uh, the MC Five and and the Stooges on the same day. He manages the Ramones, et cetera, et cetera. He's kind of like the Forrest Gump of like yeah. the Zelig, you know, proto punk. Yeah. Uh, people say that there wouldn't be no punk rock without Denny Fields. Um, I mean, really, Stooges, MC5, the Ramones, he's tied into all three. It doesn't get any more like important than that when mm-hmm. it, you're talking about the formation of punk. Anyway, so back to Ben Fong Torres, like he, uh, I also thought. Uh, we should talk a little bit about the cream documentary at some point, although you guys didn't watch that one, but I, um, it does tie in closely with it's this. On my we'll, list. We, we can move that to later in the conversation. Yeah. I'm also like, <laughs> not sure where to watch the cream doc. I don't know that it is available. Everywhere. What, you probably what's got it called? Screener. It's what's called the... boy. Howdy. Oh, boy. Okay. Howdy. The story of cream magazine or something like that. Oh, Cream Magazine. Um, I thought you were talking about the band. I remember reading Cream Magazine like at the library when I was like in like middle school or something like that. And just that one's a really quick. uh, quick, uh, It's only an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. Scott Crawford. 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 Mm -hmm. Who I think we should just have him on the show because he's done a couple of docs. Yeah, right. actually, I'm like I'm like LinkedIn friends with him. You should totally do that. You should just have <laughs> just him have him on, on the, the show. show. Salad Days, I watched. I watched Salad Days, okay, which is yeah. a DC punk one. I did yeah. not watch. Oh, he there's a Butthole Surfers movie he worked on. <laughs> mm-hmm. wow, I haven't watched I that did one not yet. Know about that, yeah. Uh, and I thought I think I'm, Scott. I thought I met him. I think he might have been doing like political action. I think I when I worked at Alternative Tentacles, I think I had. Yeah, paths with Scott. I think he was a he's political been organizer. very active for a long time, and I he's been on my email list pretty much the whole time I've been doing this, which is like now twenty years. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Um, but uh, I so anyway, I, I think I, the the Ben Fong Torres story is very important because a first time there's ever been a full length feature doc on one individual music critic. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it happens to be a Chinese American music critic. And thirdly, directed by Chinese American woman director. First time director, I believe. Like she has a previous credit, but I think it's a short. She, her background, Suzanne Kai. Uh, I was reading. She actually used to be a, a on-air anchor on KRN, which was like the NBC affiliate in San Francisco. So I'm, I probably watched her growing up. You know, like she has been working there for a while. And it sounds like she started working on this doc back in. 2010 and i could see yeah. how it could take this long like yeah. the range of footage is pretty amazing the one thing i was going to say uh the other film this reminded me a lot of is not about a music critic but it is about a writer is city of gold the jonathan gold documentary yes and i right. feel like there's mm-hmm. also this other layer of like there is this thing about food right like ben fong torres grew up uh like working in his parents like chinese R- restaurant, restaurant yeah in oakland and then like even went out to like texas with his dad when his dad tried to launch or i don't know how a chinese restaurant in texas is supposed to do in like the 60s or the or the mid 50s i think is when he was there because he was like 
a little kid when he was out there. I was thinking that was kind of like the sliding doors moment of his life where like um, the family moves to Texas, they try to do this restaurant and then it fails. And then they're like, okay, well back to San Francisco. And thank God he went Mm -hmm. back there because if he didn't, he would have been stuck in Texas and maybe none of this would have happened. <laughs> maybe he'd be like writing about like uh red Crayola and 13th floor elevators instead. Uh, like... I think he probably would have just been like, Oh, no. I'm going to be a rodeo critic. <laughs> yeah. right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, Paco, what did you think of this film? Did you know anything about Ben before this? I, I knew a little bit about Ben. I've actually met him. I've met him twice. Um, and got to spend the day with him once. Uh, with him and Ray Manzarek when they were in town. Um, yeah. So Very the lead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we haven't gotten there yet, but um, yeah, I, I met Ben spent, spent a few hours with him and Ray when they were on tour, when Ray, when they did the doors book. So yeah, I worked at the booksmith on hate street and my job was one of my, part of my job was to like be the celebrity, uh, like, um, like I would hang out with the people. Yeah, exactly. So these like people who would, we always had book author readings and signings and then Ben came in with Ray and then I had to spend the day with them and help them write. uh, They were signing all the books and stuff. So, Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. And then like, oddly enough, he came in again with like a famous DJ who I was trying to find. I think it's, I think his name was, I I think it was Billy ocean, even though I, I know it's not Billy ocean, but it's like that. Um, he is a DJ and Ben came in with him and then they had this like DJ booth set up a radio booth set up. And then they were trying to get people to come in and do like hit a post. And the guy would be like, he'd be like from the hate it's like Paco Romaine. And then like, they would be like, okay, now you do it. And you try to like have to hit the post as the song was playing kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. That was like, that, that was, that's really, I met Ben Fong Torres one time also. Uh, I can't remember the exact context, but I remember it was like a meeting for people that wanted to be freelance journalists. And it was like, Beth Lissick was there. Ben Fong Torres was there. And I, the, I wish, I think I talked to him briefly, but the main thing I remember from this entire uh, talk was that airline magazines pay the best. Uh, oh yeah, yes. <laughs> they don't they used to do music stories uh a little more frequently and now they don't really yeah i mean <laughs> like, I, I used to i used to get things placed as a publicist in in airline magazines and you would be like wow that that was like a real score because those things get read and reread and like they basically stay on the plane so and like, it's a score for the writer so like it's a the score writer for the writer stoked. they get they yeah. get really paid. Yeah. It's ba- like, I, I'm actually, so also a little background is like, I was a music journalist for a time period and I've kind of recently slightly reemerged back into freelance writing and actually just did my first like music story recently. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, the pay is much better than it used to be when I was just writing for like the alt weeklies, the all weekly. Mm-hmm. This, this also made me sad. A lot of things about this movie reminded me of like you know just being from san francisco and also like media in san francisco like this this section where it's like rolling stone that started in san francisco like when they moved to new york it's like this big shift but um let's not let's just back up to the whole thing if anyone knows who ben fong torres is hasn't seen this by now uh yeah he grew up in the bay area 
a Chinese American family, became uh, like the one of the first major editors at Rolling Stone and had this background where he actually worked at, at he was went to SF State and covered a lot of the social justice stuff that was happening at SF State yep. at the time, like the first like ethnic studies department. There was all this sort of activity that was happening uh, in the 60s at SF State. So he was like going to like, he was covering the music and the political events that were happening as like a kid, you know, uh, he was still in college doing all that work and volunteering his time to work at the bilingual paper, the East West, which was huge. So he, yeah, like his role in like Chinese American culture is pretty important as well. Um, I had a fun subtitle for this, you guys, uh, instead of like a rolling stone, I was like the life and times of Ben Fong Torres, the last good boomer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah that's accurate that's accurate <laughs> which is like i mean yeah. actually it's it's kind of insane that this movie even got made and is on netflix for everybody to see because it's like it's not a really like it's not really like a controversial like no. uh like a uh, headline grabbing story it's it has yeah. no crime element it has it no does have like, a, it does have a murder it, but it, not handled the way that netflix usually handles it uh, yeah. that's yes. true that is true it does have a murder um, it, it's it's a pretty like simplistic most most like doc bios are like that though it's kind of like uh, you know like Mm-hmm. Especially with like uh, famous well, people. Also, that... he's still alive, a right. Yeah, and exactly. Like uh, and that's odd for them to make a movie about somebody who's still living, like like this. And it's so well researched and and uh, and like they had access. To... His archive is in- yeah. insane. He has all these uh, cassette cassette tapes tapes of all of his interviews with every major rock star of that time period, and and like R and B star as well, and. Um, I hope that stuff eventually goes to like the library of Congress or something. I do have a theory about this. Cause this does remind me a little bit of like, you know, how Griffin Dunn did the Joan Didion doc. It's like, yeah. Hey, I don't, I don't know that they had, they had, I don't think they have kids Ben and his wife. So it's like probably partly is like a legacy thing. Yeah. Not a legacy thing. Um, it sounds like maybe Suzanne and Kai and him actually like work together a lot in the past mm-hmm. so she just probably was like let me do this and actually i heard an interview where he was like a little real not like super amped on doing it because as a journalist he sort of views himself as not the story as like being mm-hmm. the conduit for the story yeah but he is a is a fascinating dude who's been very like zelig like like at all these junctures in like yeah. in in not just music journalism specifically but also you know immortalized and almost famous but also yeah. like he, the coverage he did on like you know interviewing steve martin and things like that so it's it's all still yeah. within the world of like celebrity profile but then his connections to like his community and chinatown and like all the community work he's done i i, I did know a little bit about that and i'm you know this was i'm glad to see that highlighted as well yeah for sure um he isn't a very important figure in music history because he he was kind of like the guiding force of Rolling Stone in that time, like the the hate Ashbury, you know, the prime era of San Francisco music. And he was the only one making the it seemed like he was making all the really important decisions, like who we put on the cover, who are we profiling, who are we not profiling? <laughs> and like yeah. that kind of thing. Um and right at that very crucial time in music history, he was like 
very influential. Like, I think that Jan Winner and like the other people at Rolling Stone just kind of like deferred to him. Like, whatever Ben says is cool. Like, Ben, Ben's our music guy. He's our music nerd. Like, whatever he says goes. Like, that's the taste of Rolling Stone. So he was like the voice of Rolling Stone. That's amazing. They, that's they, really they powerful. Make, they make that really clear in the movie. Yeah. It seems like he's very well respected. Like there, there's no one that was like, Oh, Ben, what a hack, you know? I mean, <laughs> no one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. I mean, obviously this is kind of a, a love letter to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they probably wouldn't put somebody like that in this doc, but I, I think also you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that'd be like, Oh, Ben Funk Torres. The only person I remember in the, in the film had a problem with him was George Harrison. Oh, and right. it was just over like one article where he was like, Hey, you know, maybe George should play some Beatles songs on his tour. And he refused. And the fans were like asking for their money back and and they were all pissed. And like, so anyway, that was like one of the only like controversial. I mean, it also kind of shows you how like he was very friendly a lot of times with his interview subjects. He got to be very like he was very kind to them. And but it wasn't like he was like uh simping for them like he was like you know what i mean like he was like definitely in depth and like would ask the hard questions but in a way that like didn't piss them off usually right there's that moment with i think jefferson airplane where they're like or oh, yeah. Star, or Starship, or whoever, they, whoever the fuck they were at the time. Yeah. And they were yeah. like, he was like, hey, he talked about the mess, how messy our band was, but he was right. And, yeah. you know, and he kind of brought it up in the right kind of way, you know. I, I also, I, mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was thinking the one thing that I do feel like it didn't, they kind of talk about his actual writing only a little bit, where as opposed to like, the way people talk about Lester Bangs as a stylistic, you know, groundbreaker, or even I'd say even compared to the Jonathan Gold documentary, where like there there's so much like praise given to them as stylists, and he doesn't. I don't think he thinks of himself as a stylist. I think he thinks of himself as a as a reporter. But like there was some comment about like how what a good writer he was, but I, I, that's not the emphasis of the film at all even though he's written books and stuff. But like, I think he, he just talks about it being like, I had a deadline. I wrote, yeah, I wrote the description of everything that happened the way I remembered it. I was on a deadline and then I had to crank to the next thing. But he was, he he had all that experience and training from like college journalism, I think that must've been so professional compared to the rest of Rolling Stone. That's the only thing I can think of at the time, you know? So like him being kind of the most, and it, it this sort of implied that he wasn't as much of a he wasn't a drug guy the way a lot of those guys were. That's, That's I, I was about too, to yeah. bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring that up too because they they talk about how he doesn't do drugs and that was pretty odd to be in that scene at that time and be like basically straight edge. Um, so, but that also, that's my, that's my experience as well. Yeah, that's why I was when I I texted you. I was like, I see a lot of parallels here with you. You know, you've done rock journal music journalism and. Don't don't smoke the grass. And yeah, on. and and I feel like uh, underappreciated. And there's a new documentary <laughs> about me. No, no, um, <laughs> no, no. I mean, like, but like, yeah, he's like written so much, and like, is like, I, I feel like, 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 I, I that thing I said about him being a good boomer, I think, is sort of highlighted to me in this thing of like, he is basically the same age that like my parents are or would have been. Yeah, and it's sort of like. 
the experience I think of like he had like some of the boomer experience, but then like like you forget like oh yeah immigrants and other people of color did not have like the white boomer experience of america but then he weirdly had some of those things because of his proximity to that culture so Mm -hmm. um but he still sort of is like um not guilty of the same sins as the other boomers that's how i would put it like watching this yeah um some of the best quotes in the movie are probably from cameron crowe which is funny because he also Ben himself kind of says, yeah, Cameron Crowe didn't really depict the real me in Almost Famous. He actually got everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Except for, like, my style. Because he, he was known the for... Fashion. Yeah, the, guy, the fashion. Yeah, the fashion. The, the, the guy was a, perfect, yeah. a fashion icon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, his look was cool. He was very cool looking. He also just looks like my uncle now. Like, he just looks like yeah, the guy who married to my aunt. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. like big glasses, the hairstyle... Like I'm like oh it's like he's, he has that avuncular vibe to him, yeah. Um, but Cameron Crowe kind of points out like he was just there to get the job done. Like he was just like all about he was serious about journalism. He was like, I want to get the goods. I want to get the best article I can get about you know whatever like the Grateful Dead or or whoever I'm writing about at that mm-hmm. time, and. You know, he wasn't hanging out and doing drugs with them like Lester Bangs was. Mm-hmm. And, as, and this is another thing I realized from watching the Cream doc. They talk about this, how there's that scene where um, Lester Bangs is telling Cameron Crowe's character and Almost Famous, like, don't become friends with the rock stars. It will mess up your writing. And then, like, in the Cream doc, Cameron Crowe is talking about how, like, the next day, he got an invite from Lester Bangs to like come party at a hotel room with him and some rock stars. <laughs> yeah. It was like complete hypocrite. Uh, but, <laughs> but Ben, but Ben Fong Torres was not partying with rock stars. He would like have dinner with them or like, you know, like definitely follow up and interview them multiple times for one story, but he wasn't like partying with them. That was the difference. Right. But then they it got to the, and the, the movie opens with them talking about how artists loved him and wouldn't even talk to Rolling Stone unless it was Ben Fong Torres writing the article. Yeah. Which I think is also as a publicist, I'm thinking like, OK, this is like the ultimate compliment, <laughs> really, because like uh, I've set up interviews for some pretty big artists. And one of the big things is they hate they hate it when they're misquoted or they have things taken out of context or they can't really, they feel like they can't really trust the person interviewing them. So I think with Ben Fong Torres, they're always like, well, he'll always give us a fair shake. Now, mm-hmm. Even if he is going to reveal like the messy side of like Fleetwood Mac or Jefferson airplane or whatever, like he is at least going to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to spin it. He's just going right. to like tell the, the real, the real deal. Um, I had heard an interview that uh, Ben had done. I think it was for maybe Rolling Stone has a podcast. Uh, and he was talking about how he kind of, it's not a regret, but he's like, I think I would have handled like interviewing Ike Turner differently, like knowing everything that I know now because he's, yeah. he's like, but he was also like, I wasn't, he is a tactic, even when he's talking about it, knowing everything we know now, he's like, my tactic would not be, like, hey, do you beat your wife? He'd be like, you said this in this other interview about how 
you know, like he just kind of like let his own words be the way that he had to like, can you confirm or deny that this is what this is? And then, oh, does that like, why would you treat your wife and like the star of your show this way? You know, like, so I think he had sort of an interesting, he would, I think like his, uh, his way of handling that is still not like gotcha journalism necessarily. It's just like, let, let the, uh, let them speak for themselves and let that sort of be the rope they hang themselves with. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm interested, Dan, how long have you been doing like music published? Um, yeah, about 20 years. I mean, I started out doing uh, radio, um, like promo and that was in like 2001, but then I, I shifted over to doing publicity pretty fast by like 2002, I was doing so like 20 years ago. And then I worked for another company for about six years. And then I started my own company in 2006. So I've been doing my own thing since then. And is it always, is it always around the same kind of music or have you like, I mean, it it changes a little bit. I mean, the, the client, your client base changes all the time constantly because you get hired to do a three or four month job to like launch a record. And then that artist may come back to you when they have another record or they might go somewhere else. Sometimes you're on, you know, and then I've also done a bunch of movies and that's just a one-time gig, obviously. And then also uh, sometimes I'll be put on retainer for a whole record label for a period of time. And I'll just do everything on that label for what I'm, it's like a monthly thing. So whatever they have coming out in that time period where I'm on retainer, that's what I, that's what I promote. So it just varies. It varies constantly. Oh, that's interesting. So, do you, yeah. So your contacts kind of remain the same, though, depending. Would that be the same? Yeah. It's funny how how there's I was thinking when I was watching the cream doc. Well, all these people are still in my database. Oh, wow. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. All the all the there's so many former cream writers and and different people who uh, are still in music now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, like, yeah, that, that's a little bit different with college radio. There probably were some of those people that move into different things later, but no one's that has a constant turnover. That's yeah, such turnover. Like, that's mm-hmm. way more turnover. That's harder, I'd imagine, hard. to keep track mm-hmm. of. And also, just the way things are now. Um, let's throw to a break real quick, and okay. we'll be right back with Daniel Gill. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, sometimes the best stories happen by accident. And that was the situation when I 
happened to be hanging out at a, an apartment in West Hollywood with a friend, a publicist for various bands, and in popped Jim Morrison. How important is poetry to you now? Are you still working on, on pieces? Yeah, actually, uh, this book is, is more of a collection of aphorisms and, and notes. Mm -hmm. There are only five or six really solid traditional poems in it. Mm -hmm. I don't consider that my career as a poet has really even begun yet. Yeah, uh, we'd like to yes, make an order, please. Yeah, that's uh, what Morrison. Right, and a half a pint of beef. And do you want some yeah. potato chips? Yeah, a bag of potato <laughs> chips. A large one. Thanks. Ben did the last interview with Jim Morrison before he left for Paris. 1971, July 3rd, was Jim Morrison's last day on planet Earth in Paris. I made sure that the front page headline listed him as a poet as well as a rock star. Riders on the storm. Woo! <laughs> I, uh, I'd say I'm neutral on the doors. Dan, <laughs> Dan, you're uh, you are not a fan. I hear he's pure hate. Well, I w I just don't care. I don't. I don't even hate. I don't even care enough to hate them. Right. This right. Really. The, like the opposite of love is indi is indifference. So. And I have the indifferent uh, opinion of Jim and the doors. Like I just never. I would never in my life choose to reach up to the uh, record shelf and put on a Doors record. Let's just say that. Right. Mm. Yeah. Not even Morrison Hotel? No, not, nothing. Or L.A. Not, Woman? Okay. None. All right. Yeah. None of the above. Right. I was, a, I was a gigantic Doors fan when I was a teenager. Oh, my Lord. I just thought they were the coolest. But mostly because they had a piano player. Because I'm a piano player. and the That fact organ... That the organ parts are kind of cool. I will give them that. that yeah. And actually, they do talk about, they do talk to the organ. What's the organ player's name? Manzarek. Ray Manzarek. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And then, Paco, you realized you were, that when you were hanging out at Booksmith, that's footage that's in the film. Yeah, so I'm I'm almost in this documentary. You're almost you almost, you're almost, almost famous. I'm, I'm yeah. almost, almost famous in this documentary. <laughs> yeah. And... Because they shot that at the booksmith and that's the, and I was there for that because I had to set that up. That was part of my job. So, but yeah, I, I always loved the doors because they had the, uh, and then the fact that he used his left hand as the bass, you know, which I thought was cool. So my loves are bass, guitar, and piano. And I was like, yeah, that's one dude. That's just one dude in the doors. But then you get older and you realize that they're just kind of dumb. You know, that's what happened to me. I was like, ugh, <laughs> gross. Yeah. The Jim Morrison thing was just like uh, the Lizard King stuff. It's like, well, okay, whatever. I don't. I I, yeah. I think I may have talked about this on the show, and I don't want to blow up my friend's spot. But I have a friend who thinks he might be uh, uh, an illegitimate offspring of Jim Morrison. Whoa! I bet there's a bunch of them out there. Yeah, I mean, the timing, <laughs> I guess, worked out from when it would have been because you, yeah. Uh, but uh, th that's possibly that's a possible. <laughs> The very, very fourth association claim to fame. But yeah, this clip uh, that we listened to, uh, uh, we watched it. You listened to it. Uh, well, I, the Jim, Mor Jim Morrison, I guess, would just hang out at this like very casual salon in L.A. And that's like where uh, Ben Functor just ran into him. And it was the last interview he ever did. 
Yeah. I think it's pretty wild too. Cause you hear Jim ordering vodka or gin, I think beef eaters. Beef like, eater. he's like he's on the phone. He's like, can I get like a big bottle of beef eater and you want some chips? And you know, a large, large bag of yeah. potato chips. That's yeah. And a large, <laughs> large bag of potato chips. Someone's got the munchies, but I didn't realize they had like order stuff like that back then. Like the liquor order thing. A hotel, like a phone, like room service. Oh, it like was, it was, yeah, it sounded like it was room service to me. Oh, I'm an idiot. Okay. I thought he was calling like a grocery store and being like, Hey, this is Jim Morrison. Bring me my st- <laughs> I feel you like know? the reverse. But, Whenever I see someone order room service in a movie, I'm like, is it the forties? Like I right. would never do that. I would never. Have order you ever service. ordered room service? I have never done it. I have never either. Dan, I have, have you ever? Uh, yes, yeah? I have. I have, but only like, when you're like, you know, you you're traveling all day, you get to the hotel, mm-hmm. you're too tired to like make the effort to yeah. go down, go out into the world and try to find a place that's still open. And right. like it's like 1145 and their kitchen closes at midnight and you're like, oh, it's my last chance to like get a burger. So you just bite the bullet and get a twenty five dollar burger from room service just because exactly. out of fear. Sheer desperation. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. That's the only time I've ever done it. It's like eating lunch at a museum. I'm like, I try not to do it if I don't have to. You know, it's just going to be, you're just going to get gouged. Yes. It's <laughs> very expensive. Yeah. The eating uh, lunch at a museum. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> let's talk about some more people in this thing. I was blown away by the relationship he had with Annie Leibovitz. It totally, oh, yeah. it totally makes sense in context of like, yes, she was like a, he was like, she was the person that would go out and do all the shoots with him. But like, it also sounds like she would like do some of the questions also, or she had this level of comfort with some of the subjects that she would sort of like work it her way into the interviews sometimes. And then she's like super all, of all the people that are in this film, that are like super successful. It's like her, obviously Jan Winner is still super successful. Uh, all the, all the I was also, I did not, I didn't realize Annie's I mean she was kind of like a wonderkind you know like she was like 20 years old like already shooting like Marvin Gaye for Rolling Stone and she went to like the Art Institute or something I think that was the connection that kind of makes sense yeah like I mean and also that the Marvin Gaye stuff is really cool like the Marvin Gaye footage is great the Marvin Gaye interview uh the audio stuff is great the photos that Annie Leibovitz, I have a hard time with her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the photos she took were amazing. Everything about the Marvin Gaye segment of this film is amazing. It's yeah. all so good. Um, is that the one where he's like, I, I'm an imposter? Or he, yeah. He's, yeah. He's that like, was, it was saying. like, he's like, how, you know, how did you make this gene? How did you make what's going on? It's like. I mean, they it, it, it had just come out and Ben was already like, this is a timeless classic masterpiece record. Right. How did you do this? Like, mm-hmm. and he was kind of like, I don't know. It just happened. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't like that is was it, his answer. He's like, is it good? I don't even know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I was like, like if, if <laughs> yeah. Al Green has imposter syndrome, then we're all we can all make it. I think like Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye. Or Marvin Gaye, thank you. Yeah, we can all we can all make it. Yeah, but Al Green is also in the film, right? And Al Green's footage is also amazing. Yeah, and and Ben had a really good rapport with him as well. Um, Stevie Wonder, there's a Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Oh yeah, that was also the Ray Charles stuff. It's the Ray Charles. 
that's the one for me is the Ray Charles one. Oh, that was interview like, was amazing. Really, yeah. really great and and kind of painful. Um, and then God, there were so many. Yeah, he was definitely just like hanging out with only legends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like it was crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, they also kind of point out like he had the ability to basically access whoever he wanted. Like it was as like, you know, the, the chief music editor of Rolling Stone, he was like, and then I love that scene where he's talking about how like, yeah, record labels call are always calling me like offering me crazy gifts or just money or like, we'll fly you here and there to see our bands. And he just like, I don't take any of that. Like, I just don't, I just ignore them. Like, that's not how you're going to get me. Uh, yeah. That's old recovery. school. Yeah. Yeah. He was very old school. I mean, he was very like, and I could tell he was really like, he really meant it. Like he wasn't going to be swayed. It was, yeah. it, it wasn't like a thing where you, you, a publicist doesn't sway him mm-hmm. to do anything. He would, <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not like, you know, from like one to 10, I'd give this doc like a five, maybe a six, as far as like how great it is, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, it's actual, not like the filmmaking part of it. The filmmaking I part of, of it. Yeah. With you. Yeah. I think there's a couple things that I had. It's just like, if you're going to bother to get like Steve Martin to be on camera with you, like, it's like, let's they, see they it. didn't do anything with it. No, like they it didn't. Just, it's just like the beginning of the Sparks movie. It right. Was all just stuff like that. We're like, yeah. Not even as good of quotes as the Sparks movie gets about. Um, so, like, you know, like that was the thing. I was sort of baffled by some of those choices. Sure, it's cool that he has access to Elton John and he remembers him and stuff. But, like, it was a substantive conversation. I think it is not. The substantive tough to me here would be maybe, like, the stuff, the family stuff, the stuff about his brother um just like maybe more there's an interesting story i think about like being this asian kid who is interested in all kinds of music american music which is like black music and like 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 you know country music it's too i'm sure he knows like so he's just has this really interesting position i think and also the fact that no one like knew if he was chinese or filipino or or Hispanic or what, because of his last mm-hmm. name, which we also learned it was had to do with the Chinese Exclusion Act. And he, so they just thought if they were, if they went by Torres, like they could pass for Filipino or- No, it was uh, his dad paid money to get a fake birth certificate. And then the but name- because, because, the, But because Torres was like, it was like a Filipino- like That just happened, Filipino. that just happened to be the name that was Oh, it just the, happened to be, it wasn't- That just happened, Torres was not their real name. It, it was, it's just probably, happened to be right. the name on the birth certificate that they paid for. Right, to, that was to like make their his, false documents. Yeah, yeah, it was their false document that made it look like he was born in the Philippines. And then the real last name was Fong. So right. then it became Fong Torres. Right, right, right. Right, but because like we, the U.S. had a relationship with the Philippines, and but they were yeah. excluding the Chinese at the time. Yeah. Well, um, I would rate the movie a little higher. I I watched it like three times to prep. Oh for this. wow, nice. Um, I I, wa- I had already watched it when George asked me if I had seen it. I had already watched it on my own and enjoyed it the first time. But then I like I like to like 
uh, make notes and like prep mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. So I watched it two more times. And I also rewatched the cream doc prep to prep for this too. So I think overall I enjoyed it a lot because I also, like I said before, it's not like a lot of other documentaries where it's like, what's the controversy or what's the, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, um, it's really just telling this guy's life story. And I do think it is a pretty interesting life story. And for sure. Yeah. His imprint on pop culture cannot be understated. And also just the access um, to that archive, the audio archive of all these interviews was it, the movie would, I, I also, I watched uh, a couple of interviews with the director on YouTube and she said, my original idea was to make a 20 minute short film. Right. <laughs> and like, I started digging and like realized, Oh, this isn't a 20 minute short film. This is a real, this is a full movie. And, so, I mean, really, she went into it thinking that there wasn't enough meat there to, like, really do a full full-length feature. And then, obviously, she ended up spending 10 years on it. Wow. And I, I thought she did a good job because, I, first of all, she didn't make – it's not too long. Mm-hmm. If she had really, really gone – I mean, she probably had so much stuff that was gold There's that had to be sure. left, left out. For sure. um, if you if you don't leave most of Steve Martin's interview in, there's got there's so much that's got there's got to be. Gotta be so, I mean, yeah. uh, I'm sure they could have gone that the Jim Morrison thing could have been a lot longer. Like, or even Jan uh, Winter, like he goes back and hangs out with Jan Winter. I'm like, like there, there's got to be see more that, to that. I want to see more of that there's conversation. Be more there was, to that conversation. There's only like a couple little clips. I mean, yeah. I think they I think they realized that they needed to tell the story of his family. And they needed to tell, uh, you know, all the story of like the um, the Chinese Exclusion Act and how difficult it was uh, for his family and everything. And and then the brother thing, which we haven't talked about that yet. We, Should we haven't talk about talked that? about that. And I, I was going to say a uh, little Googles. Uh, his sister also ended up being kind of like a food author. So mm-hmm. there's still like a combination of two things in their family writing and then food and then apparently her uh his niece like continues uh his sister's like tradition there's a chinatown food tour that they do so oh yeah yeah walk whiz which i would now that i know about it i would love to go do that next mm-hmm. time so uh free free shout out to walk whiz mm-hmm. yeah walk whiz. shout out walk whiz another but yeah the i was like gonna say yeah the way i i did a little more research into the murder as well because i it, i feel like it wasn't fully explained very well because there's like also like I guess there's no, it's not that they didn't have suspects. They knew it was like gang related and they knew kind of a yeah. motive for it. Um, I was just trying to understand, like he was supposed to go do an interview on the radio about the gang problem in Chinatown. And I also like just went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole about like all these murders in Chinatown that had happened with the gangs back, back yeah. then. Cause like, I, I don't think of Chinatown as being particularly, rough or anything but i guess it was for some period also like i will say like i'm from a different generation of chinese americans because like a lot of the people that were established in chinatown uh like obviously not his family because they came over but like there's people that go back to like from when there was like railroad workers and stuff it goes way far back that the san francisco chinatown so for you uh, george which uh which generation so like i was born here my parents were china and then taiwan and then they came to the states in the 60s -hmm. so like yeah like they're the same age as ben but they weren't u.s born so they different experience uh i mean i think they were also very influenced by american pop culture and music 
but not in the way someone who just like grew up in Oakland would have been, you know? Yeah. Um, also like at the very end, there's sort of like references to like the hate attacks that were happening to the Asian community, especially like he's mm-hmm. grew up in Oakland, Chinatown. Like my aunt like lives in Oakland, Chinatown. Like, you know, we were all really like concerned about what was going on uh, in that time period. So he's like, you know, writing about his experiences of like feeling like he's getting, you know, the eye uh, back back when he was in Oakland and like going to like a restaurant in Jack London. So I, yeah, uh, the brother stuff is, seems like it would be the kind of typical Netflix true crime type of thing. Just yeah. Like unsolved mystery. But yeah. I've read that he's like, even like he told his parents, like he wasn't going to look for vengeance and he wasn't going to, and he's like, I don't care if these people are dead or alive at this point. And I think like, that's like, I don't know that I would have the largesse to, to forgive people, you know, or not, I don't know if it's fully a forgiveness, but just like not to be in a vengeance mode or not to try and like, cause it does seem like if you're going to go up against these gangland people and you're a journalist and they're willing to like kill him for like going to talk to the media, it probably was going to just spiral out if he did turn it into like a vendetta or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It seemed to be like a major moment in Ben's life. Though. That's why they, that's what, I mean, they, they kind of like sure. touched on it, but didn't linger on it too long in the film. I, I but also again, seemed, yeah, it, it seemed to relate to his relationship with his wife actually seemed like it was kind of partly stirred on by the murder, the brother's murder. Cause like the wife mm-hmm. reached out to him right. I mean, yeah. at the time they were just been like college classmates so mm-hmm. then they started their relationship after all that stuff happened so yeah that scene I, is kind of that scene is pretty scene. funny <laughs> oh the the oh like when he shows when she he she shows up at her door and she's like oh this isn't the 16 year old boy i thought like it's not funny that she's like he's like he, his brother got murdered it's just yeah that that scene yeah i, I know what you're talking about and the scene where he's like she reached out to me and she's like do you remember me and he's like boing <laughs> <laughs> yep 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 do i do yeah. i remember you yeah another another parallel to my world i married a white woman so uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> But oh, no yeah, one in my family, me. no one in my family could really take give any guff for that. So. And then they, they dated for a long time, and he would mm-hmm. not tell his parents about her because he was ashamed that he wasn't dating a Chinese woman. Yeah, I don't know if it was shame or he just like didn't want to give. It's like or they he, don't need to know. They don't need yeah. to know. I think it's more like that when he was dealing yeah. with like also like it sounds like his parents. Well, he, didn't he was worried about disappointing. Well. Yeah, he was worried about disappointing yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it seems like that you know the family was very close um the, you know he obviously got this work ethic from it reminds me almost of like the donut the donut king film it talks about how, like all these restaurants like relied on like basically unpaid like child labor like that's like how if you're an immigrant that's just the way it goes you just are part of the team you know early on yeah um but yeah no like it, it he I'm glad he's still here with us and that they made this film. Uh, I, I think he's, yeah, like when you think of like a, a film about a journalist, there's a few films about journalists, right? But like something where- I can't, like, I can't think of any about a music journalist before this. No, I, I think you're right. And I think like, other than the fact that Jonathan Gold did do music criticism when he wrote for the LA yeah. Weekly. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he, that's not where his- sort of star ascended yeah. to 
right? It was the food writing. But I think he approached all the way he approached food. I feel like there is like an interesting food connection here. Obviously, growing up in a restaurant family, his sister doing that thing. And like when they're cooking, they're, you know, they show them cooking together. I think like that's got to be in there. I bet he would be be a killer food writer as well. And maybe like that's the other direction to go at this point. Right. Um, yeah. Like that's, uh, that's the sliding door option. If he had yeah. uh, stayed in Texas, probably. Dan, did you watch the, the rolling, there's a rolling stone doc on HBO. Is it just sort of like a, like a 40 yeah, years? Yeah. I rolling saw stone that that was 50 out. Year, is it 50 years at this point? It, I it think might so. be 50 years. Jesus. I think, I think so. it's got, yeah, I think it's 50. I haven't watched it. I have not watched that. Um, I don't, I, I was wondering because if it's like, that's more like, about the overall organization and then also like Jan Wenner as like um I don't know a lot about him as a figure you know I I don't know that he's um you know he he's just kind of I know he's sold he's kind of the brand has been sold off at this point right Rolling Stone is kind of actually owned by the Chinese it's all circled around (laughs) but um it's pretty yeah. interesting though when they decide to move to New York and you know yeah he has to Ben Fong Torres has to make a decision of you know do I go with him or do I stay and and the family connection is like the thing that seems like that's what keep kept him in the bay and yeah, to well, his like somewhat you know his career was fine like his career is fine no doubt but like he got to be like the west coast editor for a long time but just also like yeah, the nature that is like the nature of Rolling Stone becoming like this major media brand, and like they wouldn't have been that out of San Francisco, right? Like staying in San right. Francisco, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like that that lady said, it was like a sleepy little town back then, and you know, and yeah, he may not have had the. Uh, but I remember I just I was reading an interview with him. He was saying if he'd moved to New York, he might have ended up on MTV and he gotten like right. some bigger Kurt gigs. Loder, but- did that right wasn't kurt loader at rolling stone writer yeah yeah Mm -hmm. could have gotten like more more prestige become become more of a personality which seems like he because they even have that clip from him on uh, wheel of fortune oh that's right yeah Yeah, he's on wheel of fortune yeah i heard he won like a lot of money on that he won like ninety thousand dollars something yeah um he He's popped up and yeah, I think I don't, I actually don't think they would have been able to um, make this film if he hadn't had that uh, reference in almost famous. Cause that's really like You're his right. claim to fame now. You're right. Like to get it on Netflix, I think it, it would have been like a labor of love that showed at like film festivals and like, yeah. especially like Asian film festivals. Or yeah. Like I, I know maybe like, maybe we are going to get to a point where there's other, music journalist documentaries and there could just be a you know a festival of music journalist documentaries <laughs> dan maybe that's the next thing to do maybe you should well, have a music journalist as your client mm-hmm. to get you stories yeah there aren't yeah i guess there aren't that many that i could think of that i mean who else would you make Jessica one about hopper maybe you'd make one you about could. um hanif well you know they are yeah, yeah. i mean uh, i was thinking david frick you know, they are making a television show out of uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom. Oh, they are? <laughs> yeah. Oh, or I, I want to see the I, casting for all I'm those guys. Yeah. Pretty sure that is in the works and there will definitely be some music journalism uh, journalists uh, represented in that. James Murphy um, playing himself? No, no, no. Hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do it, really. Yeah. It's um, CGI, DH everyone, like it's Captain Marvel. 
I think there's probably enough uh, footage of that time period just kind of sitting around at different uh, sure Brooklyn uh, apartments <laughs> that Definitely. is just never been used for anything that they could probably yes. dig into that and use it. Um, I I was at some of the early yeah 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 shows and they always had like pro camera crews like following them around. So I know there's <laughs> yeah there's yeah. there's there's footage yeah there's footage. The next, um, yeah vr yeah i i mean i think like right films about journal journalism is a hard thing to like make compelling visually anyway so uh, i think they did a it's good a job as it could uh dan i'm gonna wrap it up here yeah we're, we're thank you so much for yeah i just want to say yeah. i do you guys recommend the film to subduck listeners i think i do i do strongly. i would still yeah. because it's yeah. it's on streaming it's a fascinating story. The the problems I have with it are minor, I think. Yeah, yeah mine's mine's more like filmmaking versus content. Like it's fast. He's a fascinating person with a fascinating story. It's definitely worthwhile to watch. I but think just, for any like music, anyone who's into music history kind of docs, uh, it, it is a home run. I mean, there's enough gold in there than content that you haven't been exposed to otherwise that the interviews it's, it's, alone right because like even if yeah, you had read yeah. those interviews you never heard the yeah. tape like the access yeah. it's like it's like the access that he has then you have access to him it's There's a, also a secondary access thing yeah we didn't mention the beatles he's like a huge beatles oh, head yeah. yeah and uh paul mccartney is in the film uh also he was at the last beatles concert he was the last ever beatles concert that's right so he had a couple of different important lasts. The last ever Jim Morrison interview was him, and he was the he was the only main critic covering the last Beatles show, which people didn't realize at the time was the last show, but it ended up being the last show. And so there's like these important music history moments that are documented in the film very well that I thought was like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like drove home how important he was to everything going on. And, oh, and another yeah. last, as I said, my subtitle, The Last Good Boomer. The ben yeah, story. yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that note, Daniel, Gil, uh, what do you want to plug on your way out of here? Um, yeah, so uh, I'm starting a new uh, record label and it's um, right now it's just on Instagram. Nita Records, N-I-T-A Records at, uh, on Instagram. Oh, like um, an, the label, there's no website. It's just yeah, Instagram yeah, yeah. and then the music is on like streaming services. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And you're I managing, didn't, didn't, is this people that you manage also? Is it like management and label? It's not It's not okay. only going to be management stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's separate from that. But um, mm-hmm. that is probably something that I would like more followers on my Instagram account. So yeah, I'll plug that. Who's the artist? Um, What's the artist that you the first uh, the first out? artist is Foam Boy and then I'm gonna have uh this other band from Madison, Wisconsin called Interlay and then there's like a few other irons in the fire. I it's very it's very brand new. I have I have mm. some suggest I don't know what genres you're tackling, but I just yeah I mean there's some new shoegaze 19 year olds that are out there that I'm yeah discovering you probably know all these ones that send them to me i'll send them to you the interlay the interlay song is pretty shoegaze actually i feel like 19 year olds love shoegaze now they do coming back hard there's they're so emo gen z is so emo yeah they're so emotional it's true yeah uh paco what about your music 
Well, <laughs> I have that single that that I launched last year, um, Dear Logic, but which you can find on Spotify or Pandora or whatever, or YouTube. Um, but it's a song I wrote in 1998 about a, uh, I had a bad breakup and I wrote a song and I wrote a bunch of songs in the late nineties and did nothing with them. And then during the pandemic, during shelter in place, I got my bass fixed, you know, and some of, some of my Wurlitz are fixed. And I was like, fuck it. I am going to like record some of these songs that I wrote 8,000 years ago. So I I recorded Dear Logic and had some great studio musicians that are friends of mine like back me up. So it was awesome. But I am headlining the punchline oh, Tuesday, August 9th. That's not, yeah, of course. That's that's a big one that's coming up. That's the biggie. So if you're in the Bay Area and you love stand-up comedy or me or just want to come or this to podcast. a comedy yeah, club just come or this podcast right or everybody, come to the punchline Tuesday, August 9th, 8 p.m. Tickets are available now. And, and I, then, George, you have a show, but it's probably going to happen before this Oh, well, I have a monthly show I can plug, but yeah, I'm also doing a clown show on Monday. Me and Nick Stargue are doing clown stuff with like Anna Saragina and Kyle Mazzono at the Elysian. I'm like, this is going to be embarrassing. So definitely. Uh, Like, yeah, it'll it'll be like Commedia dell'arte clowning. It's like, I don't know. We haven't talked about the whole clown scene in L.A. Everyone's doing clown now. It's I had to explain this to like my siblings. There's like it, it's 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 not exactly Commedia dell'arte, but it is like it's basically it's just a very physical improv, right? It's basically just doing uh, this really. I don't. There's I'm, I'm sure there's more of the philosophy of clown, but like <laughs> right. a lot of people that are getting big now, like Natalie Palomides is definitely like a clown person. Um, uh, there's a lot of clown stuff, but yeah, talkies, uh, third Thursdays uh at whammy analog the only vhs store in los angeles that we know of uh the only new vhs store uh Uh, so i have to perform there but i'm required to perform at a vhs yes any any video remaining video stories that is exactly uh the george chen brand but talkies fun (laughs) multimedia show uh next one uh yeah august 15th and it's me it also yeah nick stargue of viva seagull lynn smith also, sounds like we need to have Daniel back to talk about the Cream documentary. Dude, we gotta watch the Cream documentary. Well, uh, it's actually—I mean, it's actually only an hour and fifteen minutes long. It's not probably—I mean, it's also kind of old now, so I'm and not cream sure. Cream is coming out again. They're like Although, making yes, new cream it is, issues. It is actually worth noting that be, I feel like because of this doc, they've been able to revive the magazine. Uh, oh I, wow! Yeah, it's it's uh, digital is up now and. Uh, quarterly print starts this fall um i know that for sure and then that's so that's kind of cool so maybe we could do a whole thing about it because it's it it is an interesting topic but um maybe scott crawford and daniel gill if we if you can get scott to come on and talk and mike mcgonagall i don't know that's just i'm just throwing that out there that would be that would be fun someone who's putting out a magazine in 2022 um yeah well yeah i would i would say related films to watch uh the cream doc yeah the Danny Field stock, uh, you know, I don't know what else. Um, I'll say City of Gold, just City as of Gold, yeah. Rem- as a re- reminder, I mean, like, I think like San Francisco is like a character in this, but not as explicitly yeah. as yeah, City right. of Gold treats LA. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. like, you know, an actual immigrant talking about the, their relationship with the culture. Um, yeah. So I think that's, you know, it's, 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 it's uh i the content i think makes it a recommend uh yeah even if the filmmaking 
it's like it just feel like a first time filmmaker but like someone who has a journalism background so it's it's hitting all the good notes i think it's hitting everything i i thought considering it's first time filmmaker i i you know I, I work that I figured that into the equation you, and yeah, I thought, you, you, you graded on the curve as great. Talking, but yeah. I, but I also thought she did a really good job. And uh, I mean, the, the, it's hard, uh, yeah, the, they could have made hard. a three and a half hour version that I would have gladly watched. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the Ben Fong Torres connected universe. The yeah, stage, yeah. We're at stage four of the, of the Ben, Ben Fong uh, CU yeah uh, for yeah. sure so because like it yeah connects to the door the doors all the way to steve martin so you got yeah. you got all together yeah. yeah um this was fun dan thanks so much for coming back this on was the show. fun yeah yeah thanks for thanks for having me oh and and uh paco what you need to watch the velvet underground doc i do yeah i need yeah. to watch a lot of docs yeah I, I took some time off from the doc watch We'll yeah, talk about I, the bear. Would, Let, we'll do a whole thing about the bear let's just do a i i finished sure. it i finished i have Fuck, a lot man. to say <laughs> yeah talk about restaurants yeah i um, haven't i haven't started it yet but oh, i want yeah. to I'm a, right. I'm a big fan of chicago italian beef sandwiches oh i've uh, never had one of those where do we get one in la is there anywhere that um that? oh there there is a place that is about to open <gasps> and i will text you about it yes I can't text remember me dan the, yeah yeah but yes. there is a place that is a, about to open that claims that they're going to have something very similar to to the bear <laughs> like a bear themed restaurant oh, it's not no. it's not it's no, not no, it's, it'd not. Be, it'd be, it'd it's not they they no it's actually yeah, very they're, they're uh, but i'll 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 send you the i i'll i can't shout it out because i forgot the info but i'm I also te- text yeah you. i'm picturing like a cheese steak without cheese but then the rolls are like a different nah. roll is that Mm, no 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 and they they also dunk it you got to get it dunked twice like like a type thing okay yeah Mm -hmm. i used to go to ray ray's and mm, makes me hungry yeah my brother lives in chicago so he i i can't even talk about it much more or else he'll get on my case okay okay right he's listening as he should yeah yeah Mail us some beef in the mail. All right, thanks. He would he would probably say you can't really go to no. any other city and eat the real thing. You oh, only can yes. get it in Chicago. I I mean yes, I imagine that's what people would say. I'm just yeah. I just know someone in LA will try and do uh, a cosplay of the bear. <laughs> well, it seems like the, there's a place that's been in the works for a while before the bear was even right, announced. right, right. No, so, right. It would be. It's like I just wrote this story about this. Uh, Kate Bush cover band. It's like they yeah. were doing it for five years, but this just happens to be the best time to be in a Kate Bush. Yeah. Band. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very similar to the, the, the Chicago let's, beef place that's going to open in LA. Yeah. Let's put a link in the notes to your oh, yeah, yeah. article. My, my return to music journalism, as it were. Yeah, we, we should. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank Catch you. you. The next doc that we watch. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Subdoc at subdocpodcast.com. Our theme music was written by David Siegel. Donate to the show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash subdocpodcast. If you want to help out in other ways, please share this show with a friend. Find Paco and George's comedy gigs on the About Us page on our site. Subdoc is by Doc fans for Doc fans. So if you want to advertise, got a film, or opinions to share, hit us up. Email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com.